Welcome to Healthcare Upside Down with your host, Dr. Nick Vanterhaven, and brought to you by ECG Management Consultants. You can learn more about the show on the program's page at healthcarenowradio.com or on our blog at ecgmc.com hud. The U.S. spends more on healthcare per capita than any other country on the planet. So why don't we have superior outcomes? Why haven't the principles of capitalism prevailed? And why do American consumers have so much trouble accessing and paying for healthcare? Each week, Healthcare Upside Down will dive into these and other issues with ECG principal, Dr. Nick, and guest panelists as they discuss the upsides and downsides of healthcare in the U.S. and how to make the system work for everyone. And we end with your better pill to swallow, the conclusion to today's episode with insights on challenges and changes that improve healthcare. Now, here's your host, Dr. Nick. On October 6th of this year, self-proclaimed Data Liberation Day, something many in the healthcare space have been fighting for, came into full effect. The rule was published into law months ago, but came in with some limits to allow everyone time to be in full compliance. That did not stop an awful lot of attempts to resist these changes, but the law and rule prevailed. As of that day, healthcare organizations must give patients unfettered access to their full healthcare records in digital format. No more long delays, no more fax machines, no more exorbitant charges for printed pages. This change, along with a host of other transparency-related changes, has been targeted at freeing up information to allow the consumer, patient, or customer, whatever term you feel most comfortable using, a fair opportunity to assess what healthcare they're receiving, how much they should and will pay for that care, and allow for the seeking of alternatives from other places or people. In the same way you shop for the best price on a car, vacuum cleaner or coffee maker, or any other items, so too can you shop around for healthcare services. There are of course some limitations. It's unlikely, if not impossible, that you're short of breath, feeling severe pain, and you reach for your phone or laptop and start shopping for which doctor or hospital you want to visit, which makes the emergency care a special circumstance. When patients interact with the emergency room, their opportunity to shop around is very limited, and hence price transparency and charges become very important in this department. Unfortunately, for a large segment of the population, this access point remains a central feature in their healthcare provision oftentimes misused out of necessity. Necessity driven by the lack of insurance or affordable access to general family and preventative healthcare. But these facilities offer widely variable charges to a financially vulnerable population, creating yet another stress and burden on a group already significantly challenged. Join me on the Healthcare Upside Down Show as I talk with Dr. Morgane Muslim a health policy analyst, and Dr. Morgan Henderson, principal data scientist at the Hilltop Institute at the University of Maryland, Baltimore County. Hi, Morgan. Hi, thank you so much for having us. And hi, Morgan Henderson, in this case. Hi, Dr. Nick. Thank you very much for having us on. So uh, we're talking about uh, uh, pricing and the availability of information. Um, in what is a stroke of uh, 
uh, locket happens to fall after the release of sort of general information or the uh, opening up of information. I think it was called data liberation by one group. We'll get to that. But let's talk about your research, if we could, first of all, um, and what you did. This is actually now a significant body because you, you published before, but you've actually updated. Uh, tell us what's going on with uh, the uh, information that you've been analyzing and what you've found today. Yeah, thank you uh, for asking about our updated research. So when we spoke last time, we were just at the beginning of this research. There were all this hospital price transparency data that was newly available. And a lot of the research was focusing on where hospitals compliant, how easy was this data to use. And since then, we've made a lot of progress. So our research has actually looked at what is in the data and what can we tell from the data. Uh, we focused on emergency room facility fees, which is a fee that hospitals charge to patients for using the emergency department. We chose that because for many patients, uh, they might not go to specialty care, but a lot of patients will go to the emergency room. It's a very common service uh, and they will all incur pretty much with some exceptions, uh, this facility fee. And we specifically wanted to look at the most disadvantaged patients or the most vulnerable, which is self-paid patients. So people who don't necessarily have insurance or who have insurance, but maybe they're out of network or they're underinsured. And we wanted to look at sort of what is the data telling us? Can we use this data to actually derive any meaning? And what we found was actually quite interesting. Uh, it does make sense theoretically. But we saw that for-profit hospitals tended to have higher facility fees for the ER for their self-paid patients than other types of hospitals, so nonprofits, for example. And I also want to add that this is a very unregulated space in the United States, these facility fees, even though theoretically most of your patients will face them one day, it's not very regulated. And I don't want to steal all of the thunder here. I also want to give Dr. Anderson a chance to talk about it a little bit. I'll hand it over to him. Thanks, Dr. Muslim. Terrific summary. Um, yeah, I will just say that this was us basically dipping a, dipping a toe into the world of research that can now be done beyond just compliance, you know, which hospitals are complying, but now we can actually try to understand what factors are associated with higher or lower prices, true prices, mind you, not charge master charges, true prices, that actual patients incur. And so yeah, this is the, the first of hopefully many studies to come. And uh, yeah, that, that was great. That came out uh, earlier this year in Health Affairs. So when you say true prices, I, I, I gotta say I'm, I'm confused. What do you mean by that? Because I, I feel like the, there's a price and you know we've referenced the charge master as a sort of source price. How, how are you getting to that? And what does that actually mean? I am so glad you asked that, uh, Dr. Nick. So I, I like to try to think of metaphors to, to, think, to try to really capture what, what's going on with hospital pricing. And, and the best one that Dr. Muslim and I could come up with so far is going to the hospital is like you go into a restaurant and everyone has a menu with different prices on it. Everyone faces different prices. So in this case, my menu might be for my insurer, which is whatever, it could be any insurer, Aetna, United, anyone. The person next to me would have a menu with different prices set by their insurer, it could be Blue Cross Blue Shield, you know, Medicaid, whatever. And 
not only do people have menus with different prices, the waiter would order for you. So you, you have basically no leeway over what services you're actually ordering, well, because there's tremendous information asymmetries. And so we're in this situation with hospital pricing where hospitals offer tens of thousands of distinct items and services, ranging from room and board in the ICU all the way down to Band-Aid, you know, and everything in between. The hospitals have a sticker price for that. People who pay cash, have they face a different price for that. And then every single person with an, an insurance plan will face yet another price for that. So we're in this situation where for one thing, for that Band-Aid, there, can be, there could be 100, 200, 300 different actual prices for the exact same Band-Aid. So, I, I mean, that's a great analogy. I like that. It, it, it's helpful in understanding. I think the piece that most folks probably don't understand is why is the um, waiter ordering for you? Why can't I order based on my menu? It, so in principle, you could. In reality, you don't. Um, Dr. Nick, you're, you're a medical doctor. Uh, patients will do what the doctor orders. And the very, very intelligent, educated, ambitious, uh, and you know, cost-sensitive patients, they might say, okay, you told me to get an MRI. I'm gonna check out that MRI facility imaging place down the street, see if I can get a, a better price there. But I, I think that would be very much the exception rather than the rule. And Dr. Muslim, please feel free to chime in. Yeah, the, the only thing I will add to that about you can't order yourself is also uh, if you do have insurance, uh, your insurance will also dictate what you can and cannot get for some services, which is another barrier. Yeah, no, I, absolutely. And I think that, you know, shopping around uh, brings us to an important point about the latest research, which is, well, great. I'm I'm shopping around for healthcare. I have um, you know a cough that's been going on for a few weeks. I want to find the best place that does respiratory therapy. Um, I, I've got some options, but in the emergency room, a little bit different. In that I'm, it's an urgent thing. I'm I I, <laughs> I I can't see myself going to my screen as I'm suffering some medical emergency. Um, and shopping around. So we're at a point where it's most challenging for people to sort of use that capability, the market. Um, yet what you find is, or it sounded like what you found, is that the folks that have the most financial and medical challenges even are actually even further uh, removed from the best opportunities for economic care. Yeah, and that is also why we focused on emergency departments is, as you pointed out rightly, when you're having an emergency, shopping around is the last thing on your mind. And what I didn't mention when I first explained our research is um, in the United States, the facility fees are coded from level one to level five, and you, the patients, have no say in what level you're going to be. And as you can imagine, level one is the cheapest, with level five being the most expensive. And the hospital will decide what level to code you as. Adding to that, most research has shown that hospitals will at least code you as a level three. So you will at least be a mediumly expensive visit. And of course, you come in, you have an emergency, you don't know any of that, and you have no leverage. You have no control over how much you're going to be charged there. And add to that even more that this is unregulated. Yes, CMS has some guidelines saying, 
we would like you, the hospital, to code your facility fees to sort of match the resources you're using in that visit. But there's no one checking that this is actually done. Dr. So I, I think that's a great point. Um, you, you know, there's there's some challenges associated with this facility fee. But, you know, let, let's for the purposes of clarity, I, I, I know it's interesting that you say level one is, you know, clearly the lowest um, uh, cost. But I would tell you as a physician, I think the complete opposite, because a level one trauma center is a facility that is at the highest end. So um, level one is the lowest cost. Level five is the highest cost. It's about clinical complexity. Um, you know, there's some estimation around that. But, you know, in fairness to the facilities, if they're actually delivering higher care, that's a reasonable approach. I think perhaps what you're saying is that um, the ability to influence that and, you know, it sounds like the baseline is level three, irrespective of what you show up with. Is that the case? So that wasn't the focus on our research, but yes, there has been other research out there that shows that is the case. Most hospitals, regardless of the resources they use, will tend to code you as at least a level three. Um, again, I'm caveating this by we didn't look into specifically this, but that's what other research has shown. So um, you talked a little bit about the variation between hospitals. And again, you, you know, in fairness to those facilities, you talked about not not for profit and for profit. And I, I know there's been lots of discussion about whether they truly are not for profit and, you know, some of the hidden costs in there. But, you know, let's take that at face value and say, well, for the for profit hospitals, it would seem appropriate that they are able to charge um, a higher rate, perhaps because they're offering better um, menu items. Or is that not the case? Did you look into that as well? So, yeah, and so this brings us to a, a certainly a, a very real point where uh, we certainly acknowledge hospitals provide crucial services for our society. They're open 24 seven. It takes labor, it takes capital, it takes significant planning and logistics to operate hospitals well. So, so yeah, we, we, we certainly understand that. Um, so the, the connection between price of, of a hospital service and quality this is an area of very open research, and it's one that is very difficult to address using these price transparency data sets, simply because, again, for this restaurant metaphor, we have the menu. We know that menu of prices, but we don't know outcomes at the patient level. And so, whereas with maybe a claims data set, you don't have the menu. You don't. You have the receipts. You have the receipts from all the food that was ordered, but you know what happened to that person. And so you, you kind of know if they die, you know if they have a readmission. So claims databases are probably a little bit better at trying to get at that connection between price and quality than price transparency data sets, which could only operate kind of at the hospital level to use hospital level quality metrics. Um, the, research, the recent research that's come out is there's not really finding much of a relationship. It's not really finding the hospitals with higher prices tend to have better patient outcomes. Um, but again, it's, it's a very open and active area of research. Well, and that brings us back to the data liberation day for, for a shortcut term. We're, we're now at the point where there, is, there should be zero limitations. And I think, you know, I remember our conversation very clearly from the original discussion where you actually talked about 
um, you know, the, the early days of that information being made available. And then some time later, you notice that people were pulling back and, you know, obfuscating in some cases. Um, I think we're maybe at the point where you might be able to pull in some of that data and it opens up an opportunity for you to sort of think about um, diving in. And I think you said that at the beginning, there's tremendous opportunity from this research. It's like you're right there with us, Dr. Nick, as we're writing our manuscripts. We literally just wrote one about the change in compliance over time. It's It's been submitted, so we can't talk too much about it. But yeah, it is certainly possible to now look at national snapshots, line up two national snapshots, one year apart, and then just estimate, okay, which hospitals are improving in their compliance, which are getting worse. And so we do generally see, and you know, if this piece gets published, we'll, the world will see it in nine to 12 months or however long the publishing lag is, we see compliance improving. We see about half of the hospitals in the country have gotten better in some way, but a small minority have gotten worse. And this is completely in line with our anecdotal um, early observations. And, and it sort of makes sense because there, there was a feeling out period where maybe a hospital takes its best shot at what it thinks a good file should be with maybe a lot of data in it, it posts it, and then it looks around and it, says, it looks at what have the other hospitals in that state or in that market done. And then maybe if they haven't posted much, maybe it pulls back a little bit. And I think that's exactly what's happened. So um, you, you talked a little bit about um, the, the emergency department, some of your findings. Um, as you think about this, I mean, obviously, you're like I am. I'm not only a, a, a you know, I sit on the other side of the table, uh, potentially as a clinical provider, but I'm a patient my, first and foremost. Or an, and at least if I'm not, I'm, uh, I'm I'm related to a patient or friends with a patient. So I see this through that eye. As you think about the things that you discovered, what, what where do you see opportunity for change, and how can that bring about the change? So I think, unfortunately, on the patient side, even though there's a lot more data out there, I don't know how much they can change things from their end. Um, again, the data, we talked about it a little bit last time, it's very hard to use. You need specific coding skills. You need a lot of medical knowledge to shop around. Um, there are some tools that are starting to make it a little bit easier, but still very hard from the patient side. Adding to that, there's a lot of research that shows that the most impactful change will come from the top. So it really comes from policy. So I think in research, and I think the main advantages of all this data is that now policymakers and researchers can really start to leverage it to understand what is going on, what dictates hospital pricing, are nonprofit hospitals actually providing community benefit like they say they do? These are just a couple of questions that we can now answer. And then based on these results, policymakers at the state level, at the federal level, can enact policies that can either regulate prices, change the way certain hospitals are managed, et cetera. And I really think that's where the change is going to come because expecting patients to take this data and make something of it is very, very hard and very challenging. So I have a somewhat more optimistic view where I, I hope that one 
key stakeholder in the American health services ecosystem can and will make something useful of this data, and that is employers. So, um, so uh, the, a huge amount of people, a, a large fraction of Americans receive health coverage through their employers through what's called self-funded plans, meaning the employer is actually paying the bill for that x-ray that you, Don Smith, random employee, are getting. A third-party administrator, like a big insurer, United, they might be doing all the paperwork, but that employer is actually paying the bill. And so employers have a tremendous incentive to want to lower healthcare prices. And with this data and with the insurer price transparency data deluge that we haven't even talked about now, now hopefully employers might start having the tools, start driving better deals with health providers, with hospitals, bringing down some of these very, very high costs um, because it, patients were atomistic, were basically powerless. Employers are not. And so that's a direction that, that uh, personally, I, I'm hoping that this data gets used for. Yeah, I think that's a great point. I mean, ultimately, the employers are, are picking up a big part of this tab, although there's been, you know, significant cost shifting. Um, I, I'm going to suggest one minor adaptation for your analogy, and I think it's not the menu items so much that, I, and the menu items do vary, but I'd add an additional item that says, hey, every time you walk into this restaurant, there's a restaurant fee. Oh, and by that, by the way, that restaurant fee for entering this will be different for Nick versus for Morgan um, as a result of it. Um, as you think about that, is there some scope to say, well, maybe that shouldn't be the case, or maybe there should be some standards associated with that? Definitely should be some standards associated with that. I think the fact that this is an unregulated space is very dangerous potentially and puts our vulnerable patients at risk. Dr. Anderson? Uh, I think that there could and should be a long, hard look at what constitutes um, appropriate and optimal pricing practices, especially for uh, lower income or disadvantaged populations. There, there is a plethora of potential alternative pricing structures such as, for example, multiples of a Medicare price, something like that, which may offer uh, potentially more socially optimal policy. So um, it, as you think about this in the future, you've talked or teased a little bit of the, uh, the upcoming research, um, potentially the changes. I mean, one of the things that occurs to me is, you know, there's, there's certainly complexity because there's multiple uh, numbers. Is there some value to sort of consolidating that? Do you think there's some even willingness to go down that route or not? So I'm very glad you asked that, Dr. Nick, because this is the perfect plug for, for me to talk about me and Dr. Muslim's National Science Foundation grant, Provider Pricing and Health Policy, where we're going to be collecting a lot of this publicly available data. We're going to be documenting it, synthesizing it, posting it, all going to be free. It's going to be geared at the research community. And, and so... We hope that this will enable ourselves and many others to do these studies. But yeah, I think there's going to be there's going to be a ton of studies coming from this data. I think we've just just begun. Only begun. Fantastic. Thank you, Dr. Morgan Muslim. Thank you. Always a pleasure to talk to you. And Dr. Morgan Henderson, thank you. Thanks, Dr. Nick. Appreciate it. As we move clearly into a transparent and fair system of healthcare services that offers economic, affordable, and accessible healthcare to everyone, it's important to take account of all the groups and find an appropriate path for every member of our community.
Self-pay patients are an understudied yet important and financially vulnerable population of emergency room users. And as we heard, the emergency room facility fees may be a key cost driver in patients' ER bills. Depending on your facility's status, it may be that the ER fees are tied to economic drivers and fixed costs, and they're hard to adjust. Your better pill to swallow is to consider alternative delivery options. Until health policy catches up and addresses these issues, identifying alternative approaches for these groups that offer a lower cost, more economic option would start to address the inequity and failures of our existing system. Thanks for joining me, your host, Dr. Nick, on this week's edition of Healthcare Upside Down. Until next week, keep solving the business of healthcare as if your life depended on it, as one day soon, it will. That's all the time we have for today. You can find all of our episodes on your favorite listening platform by searching for Healthcare Now Radio. Also, check out our blog at ecgmc.com hud for summaries and commentary from each episode. Follow our show's social hashtag, HCUpsideDown. And join us each week as we work to solve the business of healthcare for everyone.